Hello, I'm Steve Hinchliffe, and I'm here today to talk about risk. Risk in particular with relevance to human health and to the health of our environment. And one of the things we want to do today is, is look at the relevance of social science to understanding risk and the ways in which it affects our lives and the way in which we perhaps can live more effectively with uh, this risky world. I'm joined in the studio by John Durant, who's Professor for the Public Understanding of Science at Imperial College, and Hilary Rose, who is Professor of Sociology at City University. John, perhaps I can start with you. Why is it that we can't even drink a glass of milk or, or sit in the sun without, without being made aware at certain times that we're doing something risky? Well, I suppose in general, because we've become more aware of the possible dangers that exist in all sorts of activities, it's a paradox in a way because most objective measures of the hazards to human life in a society like ours suggest that actually we're probably on average safer in our daily lives than our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation. Objectively speaking, the risks of serious harm to health are slowly but steadily going down and life expectancy is slowly but steadily going up. But actually, that isn't the way it feels to many of us and I think we need to take seriously why that is. I suppose, for me, one key reason is that we live less and less with the idea of the future as a totally uncertain, unplanned thing. The, the, the notion of fate is not so widely accepted as perhaps it once was and the more we think about the future as something we can plan for and influence, the more we're aware that it's a hazardous place. Hilary, would you agree with that? I and mean, one of the things that I noticed just listening to the radio this morning is that I heard risk three or four times. It seems to be everywhere. Well, that, that I think, was, is part of the problem because I was thinking as you were speaking about milk. I grew up as a child in the countryside and my family insisted on drinking pasteurised milk. Every family around us drank raw milk, pasteurised milk being a little more expensive. Now, what was going on was a little risk assessment um, because of the risk of tuberculosis and one or two other little things around now, the thing is that it wasn't called that. It was just called taking care of your children and doing the best you could for them in the light of what you knew. So one of the things that's happened, and it's, as it were, a doubtful success on the part of the social sciences, is that we've introduced the category of risk, and indeed the natural sciences as well, the category of risk, until, as it were, the word risk indeed infiltrates our everyday life. And we talk about risk in a way that I think people simply thought about risk before. Things come into existence much more fiercely by being named, so that we articulate them, we discuss them. But it doesn't mean that historically we lived without risk, or that people lived without risk management. They did, but they didn't necessarily call it that. It's interesting that you say risk management and, and mention science there. I mean, perhaps to an outsider, we might think this is a, the, the realm for sciences to actually do the, the kind of risk assessment and the risk management. Is that all we need, John, do you think? Do we need more scientific risk assessment? Is that, is that the way forward? Well, we certainly need, uh, if you like to call it scientific risk assessment, in many areas. Otherwise, we, uh, I think we're living in unnecessary ignorance. But it certainly isn't enough. Uh, I mean, partly because there's a limit to... I think, what you can hope to achieve with scientific risk assessment, and there are constraints on the, the assessments you get, limitations to them inherent in the whole process. But secondly, when it comes to managing risks, you, you started with a glass of milk, you know. There's nothing that a scientist is easily able to do to influence how, when, and under what circumstances you and I drink milk. You know, we, we, in some sense, we've got to be realistic about the way we live, and that means that we can't avoid the fact that people, institutions... Um, individually and collectively are actually crucial to uh, the management of risk and that can't just be left to science. 
they would, as it were, suggest that one needs to say a little bit about the production of new risks through the products of science and technology, the nuclear industry, as, as it were, which promised us absolutely everything, sort of free, safe, clean um, power, um, was simply an example of an enormous scientific and technological project which went very badly wrong. And it's left most industrial countries with a tremendous sense of the deep riskiness of nuclear energy. So, you know, we've got two things. One is that science and technology volunteer themselves as the great risk assessors. Others of us look at them a little more cautiously and say, oh, you're great risk generators too. So it's, you know, it's, it's that sort of double, it's that constant sense of doubleness that goes on. So on the one hand, science seems to take away risk in some ways or, or give us the capability to actually make decisions or predict uh, yes. a risk. On the other hand, it seems to be adding to the risks in the world. Well, as in my glass of milk, where mm. science and technology cleaned my glass of milk as a child, but you wouldn't really want your child to drink um, a glass of milk in an area subject to fallout. And you see this, actually, in, in a practical sense, in the kind of uh, discussions that go on now about the possible risks attaching to new scientific and technological discovery. Yeah. It's now quite routine, I think, for scientists and technologists to find themselves being interrogated, for example, by journalists. You know, can you guarantee that this, that or the other is safe and risk-free? Which actually is, a, am afraid to say, a deeply problematic question to ask <laughs> uh, and almost always puts the scientist or technologist in a complete quandary. They don't know how honestly to answer it in a way that will not appear to get them and everybody else into trouble. Um, but that's a demonstration, I think, of what Hillary's saying, that we, we see all new knowledge potentially now and all new technology potentially now as two-sided, mm. as potentially bringing us benefits and potentially bringing us new dangers. And I don't think we're comfortable as a culture yet, really, about how to deal with those twin aspects of innovation. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.